Last week, we were on the road to Emmaus, and we learned, or rather, we were reminded that the whole of Scripture, uh, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, find their origin in the Lord Jesus Christ and speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, reveal Jesus. And today we shall see uh, that John 10 is no exception. Uh, Every figure uh, in this parable, this metaphor, this, uh, this agrarian and pastoral metaphor of shepherding, uh, every figure can be understood as speaking of Jesus. He is the door, as he proclaims, by which one enters the sheep pen. That is, by, one, by which one enters the kingdom of God. Uh, He is, uh, per St. Augustine, also the doorkeeper because it is Jesus that opens the way of life. He is, of course, in this shepherding metaphor, the good shepherd. He says so himself in verse 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verse 11 is packed. It it elucidates, it reveals both his person and his work, his identity as the king of Israel, as the God-man savior of the world, because God did indeed become man so that we might have life. The shepherd, the good shepherd king of kings condescended He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, Jesus is the door, the doorkeeper, the shepherd, and the sheep. He's the perfect, spotless Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus is proclaiming himself, revealing himself to be the good shepherd. And this is, uh, in context, we see that this is over against the bad shepherds. That is, the bad kings, the bad leaders, which Israel had been subject to. Because shepherding and I've said this many times before, shepherding in the ancient Near East is first and foremost a metaphor for kingship in particular and for, if we can speak anachronistically, leadership in general. And this is no place more clear than in the psalm. Uh, Everyone's favorite, at least my favorite psalm, well, you know, it's up there. It's in the top ten. It's hard to rank, right? It's a hit. Because the psalms are songs. It's no more, in Scripture, nowhere more clear than in Psalm 23 that shepherding is speaking of kingship. Because in verse 5, what we have in verse 5 of Psalm 23 is, you know, David is giving us these nice, uh, peaceful, uh, agrarian, pastoral uh, images And then it seems that he abruptly transitions in verse 5 when he says, uh, he switches to militaristic imagery. When he says, thou preparest a table before me 
in the presence of mine enemies. It might seem to us abrupt, but to the ancient listener, the ancient singer, the ancient reader, it would have been rather obvious that David had been singing of kingship the entire time. So to put it plainly, Jesus calling himself the good shepherd is a claim of kingship. It's him claiming to be the Messiah. And it's in context, this indictment. Jesus saying he's not simply the shepherd, not simply the the king, but that, that he's the good shepherd, that he's the good king. This functions polemically as an indictment against Israel's leadership, both past and present. I mean, consider the context, what happened in John 9. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, who had just done what? They had just kicked the formerly blind man out of the synagogue. So they had excommunicated him. They had essentially expelled this man from the kingdom of God, from the people of God. So he's saying to those who have shepherded in this way that they themselves are not the true shepherds of the people because they do not accept the king of Israel, that they have rejected the Messiah and that the only way for people to enter into the sheep pen, as it were, into the kingdom of God is through the door whom, again, they have rejected. The Pharisees and religious leaders We're like hired hands, Jesus says. Hired hands who care nothing for the sheep. Thus, standing in the long tradition of the prophets, so this idea of shepherding, this metaphor of the shepherd, is not something that Jesus Googled to use in this, in John chapter 10. You know, I need something fresh that people are, you know, maybe get their attention. No, there's a long tradition in the prophets of speaking of Israel's kings, speaking of their leaders as shepherds. And so Jesus draws on this tradition, and in it and through it, he identifies the current regime with the failed leadership of the past. One example is is Jeremiah chapter 23. And Jesus is not simply referencing this uh, as, you know, homiletical fodder, you know, I need something to say, but he's also fulfilling what the prophet Jeremiah says here. He says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. And here's what Jesus is doing. Yahweh in person. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. You see the renewal of the covenant. You even see the Edenic language, Jesus' work of redemption as a work of new creation. And then finally in verse 4, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. 
and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. As an aside, that's a terrifying passage of Scripture uh, for me to read. Because if the stakes were this high for the shepherds under the old covenant, how much more for those to whom God entrusts the flock under the new covenant? So Jesus is fulfilling this very prophecy and many others in their midst. He's calling the leaders of Israel to account. He's bringing judgment upon them, and he's gathering his sheep. John 10, verse 8, he says, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. In the immediate context, The blind man didn't listen to the thieves and the robbers because he knew the voice of the shepherd. But the Pharisees were blind and could not see him, nor could their ears recognize his voice. The good shepherd drives away the wolves from his flocks and gathers them under his loving care, a love which is ultimately demonstrated on the cross. We have to hold together, as Jesus does here. We see this in in verse 11 again, that he is both the shepherd and the sheep. He's God and man. He's the king, and he's the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus is the good shepherd that lays down his very life for the sheep. So in Scripture in general, and John 10 in particular, shepherding is a metaphor not only for the regal having to do with monarchy, but it's also a metaphor for the cultic, that is the sacrificial. I know cultic is such a, it's only used as a pejorative, so it it means uh, sacrificial worship. Where animals, or in our case, the Lord was was offered the shedding of blood in worship. So don't think, I know there's all these Netflix things right now about Waco. That's not what I'm talking, I'm not talking about that kind of cult. So kingship and sacrifice are bound up together. They're inextricably linked in Holy Scripture. Because God became king on earth as in heaven in and through Jesus Christ on the cross. The cross was his throne. His crown was a crown of thorns. So the Messiah, the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, and the Lord of the world is revealed to be also the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And Isaiah 53 is the key passage that the Apostle Peter is drawing on in today's epistle when he calls us to follow in the footsteps of the Good Shepherd and Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. 
And in this context, to follow Christ is to suffer with him and for him. Did you notice that Peter really has no sympathy, that he's not going to give you a gold star when you suffer on your own account, when you suffer at the hands of your own stupidity and sinfulness? He's like, yeah, so what? But when we endure for the sake of the gospel, when we endure patiently the suffering that God allows to come into our lives, or again, the suffering that comes our way because we're living in a way that is diametrically opposed to the world in which we live, And we endure that with patience, knowing that Jesus Christ is seated at God's right hand. That Jesus Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, that he'll make all things new. And that he is indeed a good shepherd. That we can trust him with our lives. That we can trust him with our future. Then we have a great reward. When we endure with patience, without guile in our mouths. I I wish Peter had not brought that up. Trusting ourselves to, again, the righteous judge and to take refuge with the shepherd and bishop of our souls. When it says in 1 Peter there, the the overseer, some translations will translate that bishop. And I think that's right because the word is episkopos from which we get episcopal. There is some sort of rhyme to why our tradition has just sort of the the weirdest name. Like what's, what's an episcopal? You know, you get people like they can't even say it. It's a lot of syllables. And this overseer, this episcopos, this bishop, again, it's tied to this image of shepherding. Of shepherding. That's why the bishop, when he comes and visits, he has a crozier, which is a staff. It looks like a shepherd's staff. It's not, again, the things we do, it's not just because it looks, in my estimation, cool. Like the bishop gets to dress up like Gandalf, and he's got a staff, and he comes into the hall at Rohan, and there he goes, and he lays it on the altar. When we're entrusted to him as his sheep, as he's an under-shepherd of the great and good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd king who lays down his life for the sheep. And we need to be reminded of his goodness, of his love, of his mercy, that when the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep, we ourselves, he was the spotless lamb of God, but we were by no means spotless little lambs. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His death gave 
us life. He redeemed us and brought us into the sheep pen, into the kingdom of God so that we can say with the psalmist that he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Brothers and sisters, he has made us sons and daughters in the court of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so by the Spirit, marveling at the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we ought to live as such. We should recognize his majesty. We should fall on our faces before him in thanksgiving before so great a salvation, hanging on every word he speaks so that we can know more and more his voice. Not hardening our hearts as the Pharisees did, putting our full trust in the good shepherd and following him all the days of our lives.